Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Joanna. Hi, I'm Joanna, uh, anorexic bulimic and a compulsive eater. Thank you for asking me to speak. It's nice to be here. Congratulations to the chip takers and happy birthday to all our birthday folks and um, welcome to our newcomer. Um, I came into OA in 1995 and it took me a little while to get abstinent. I thought you guys were speaking a foreign language that was written in a completely different alphabet. I didn't understand a word you were saying. I didn't get this concept that you could actually live life and not think about food. Um, I didn't understand what it would mean to be free from obsession with food. I certainly couldn't understand what it meant to be free from obsession with self. And I wasn't really sure how I could possibly change the way I had thought for my whole life. I got changing a behavior, that sort of made sense, but really what you guys were talking about was how to change my thinking. And I just didn't understand how that could possibly ever happen. So um, it took me quite some time to get a sponsor. I was really bad about asking people. I would do something like awkwardly walk up to you and say, could you tell me about this sponsorship thing? How does it work? You know, and then the person would answer the question nicely, and I'd say, thank you, and I'd walk away. Um, And I must have done that I don't even know how many times before I finally found a sponsor. Um, My abstinence date is February 4th, 1996, so I have over 17 years of abstinence. My abstinence is um, I can eat whatever I want. I just can't throw it up because I'm a bulimic. And um, my anorexia abstinence is that a uh, carrot and a Diet Coke are not a meal for a day. Um, That's sort of a shorthand way of saying I know when I'm messing with the food and um, I know when I'm limiting it, and I don't do that. Honestly, after 17 years, there have been some exceptions. I mean, I've had surgeries where I haven't been able to eat for like 24 hours in advance and things like that. But, you know, these are, these are exceptions, that things that we do, um, that we deal with with our sponsor, you know. And um, I've walked through all those kinds of things with my sponsor. Um, I do like to say, I don't like to say this. In fact, I hate to say this because it's embarrassing. But I do need to admit that I actually haven't done it the whole time with OA. Um, I came in here. I finally got abstinent. Um, I got the gift. I got reprieve from obsession with food. Our literature says we are not a um, calorie, we're not a diet club, we're not a calorie and fat club. What you get here is a freedom few, if any of us knew before coming to these rooms, you get freedom from obsession with food. Um, it's not about how much weight you lose. It's not about the weight at all, quite frankly. Um, which, of course, when I first came in here, I couldn't even comprehend that. What do you mean it's not about the weight? That's all I cared about. Um, but what I learned was um, the gift that you guys are talking about, the gift that's part of these 12 steps that are on this wall, has to do with um, changing the way I think. And so I, I 
came in here, and part of changing the way I think is changing my behavior first, right? We act as if. Um, and so I stopped the bulimic behavior. I stopped the anorexia. I, ha I still had some problems with binging because I was allowed to eat whatever I want, and I had to, I just couldn't get rid of it. And I had to train myself. I had to learn to trust myself with food, and that was really, really hard to do. So that was an uncomfortable process. But in the, while doing that process, I also had a sponsor. I did the steps. Um, and like I said, I got freedom from the session, and I decided that since I wasn't thinking about food, why was I coming into these meetings where all people did, in my opinion, at the time, was talk about food? Because what I wasn't listening to or listening for was um, the recovery. I wasn't listening for how they were applying the steps to, your, to their lives, right? I was only, I thought, paying attention to, you know, I, I was still only paying attention to the food. And so um, I left for a few years. I get credit for 17 years of abstinence because I never lost my abstinence. You know, the program worked. It, it stuck. I got it. Um, I was also out there, quite frankly, um, with some other addictions. So it was easy to put down, it wasn't ever, let me rephrase that, because it was never easy to put down bulimia or anorexia. But once I had put it down, it was easy to not engage in it because I was engaging in so many other <laughs> behaviors that were self-destructive. Um, it's OA, so I'll keep it focused on the food, but I always do like to say I am in five 12-step programs now. <laughs> um, I, when I say I am sober and abstinent, we are talking about like the big sober. You know, there's nothing left. There is nothing left for me. There, there, I, I mean, say, you name it, throw it out, I'll tell you it's not, it doesn't happen for me. And, um, you know, whether it, whether it has to do with um, uh, money or men or food or alcohol or drugs, um, legal or illicit, you know, I, it, there's, there's no, caffeine, don't even nicotine, forget it. There's nothing. And um, that can make life really, really raw. And I said I left and noticed I'm back, and I've been back for many, many years at this point, because once I put down some of those other addictions, guess what? The food pops back up. And the thing about that was I had at that time been bulimic, um, I mean, excuse me, I had been abstinent from bulimia for 10 years. And the first time I thought about being bulimic again after 10 years, it scared me to death. I would drink again before I gave up my bulimia abstinence. This is way more precious to me. Um, since I'm in some other programs, I feel qualified to say this. While it's difficult to put down the substance, I do think that people in the beverage program can put a plug in the jug, and, you know, as long as they can keep it plugged, they're okay because they don't ever have to deal with the alcohol again as long as they choose not to pick up one day at a time. But with food, I have to eat. I don't have a choice. I have to – in, in AA, I get to put away the monster and never look at it again. It's gone. But in, in OA, I have to make friends with the monster, right? I have to make a relationship with this thing that terrorized me for – I came in at 27, so for decades. Um, and that, you know, I didn't want to lose that bulimia abstinence. And so that, that's what got me back into the rooms, and I'm grateful for that because now I get it. I get something that I didn't understand the first time around, which is that it's not about the food, it's about the feelings, right? It's about my thinking. And on top of that, it's not, um, 
the way to, for me, to stay abstinent has to do with my understanding of a higher, as we say in here, God as I understand him. We also call it a higher power. Now, when I came into OA, I came from um, a father who was an atheist and a mother who studied religion in college but didn't actually know what the word God meant and actually thought it was a dirty word. So I guess I could say she was agnostic. Um, And I didn't know... I didn't know what it was. I had no idea what it was. I mean, I had been to um, a couple of churches and stuff like that for family events, but, I, I mean, I had no idea what God was or a higher power was. And I basically thought, that's nice for you, that you have one of those and that you found something that, that works for you, but I don't have that kind of luck. I, I'm, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not good enough to get one of those. Like, whatever you found, I'm not good enough to have it. And that's basically the way I thought. I've always, part of my problem and the reason I ate and used other things was because of my um, low self-esteem, my self-hatred, my fear, my insecurity. I mean, if you really had lived inside of my head since I was five years old, like as far as I can go back, as far as I can remember, I always thought you were better than me, you were prettier than me, you had a better family than I had. you were smarter than I was. I wanted what you had. I hated what I had. I hated everything about myself, including my name. There wasn't a single thing about myself I liked. And um, I lived in that thinking for decades. I mean, really, really long time. And it, it's actually kind of surprising that I was somewhat functional, but I was. Um, but the amount of self-hatred I had toward myself caused me to act out in all these behaviors that were really hurtful to me. Um, and so I, ha- I learned that I had to change that thinking. Like, it had to go away. If I continued with that thinking, I was just going to eat again someday or use something else. I was trying, but the thing was, I was trying to use food to fill. This is one of my sponsees, um, a former sponsee's line, and I love it. Um, I'm trying to use food to fill a God-sized hole. There is not enough food in the world to fill this pit in my chest that made me feel so empty and so worthless. And believe me, I tried. I mean, my, my, I used to write down my calories and fat grams every single day in a diary, and my, my biggest binge was my last binge and, and purge, and it was over 6,000 calories. I stopped counting at 6,000. And... Um, I, I knew when I came back, you know... Um, I just knew I had to change the thinking. And I, I had tried a lot of different things, and the big book talks about it. We tried, you know, sanitariums and fat farms and swearing on oath and not on oath and on a Bible and not on a Bible. And it's just all kinds of funny stuff that we do. And, and I had tried a lot of stuff. I've tried outside therapies, and I had tried self-help books, and I tried um, religions, quite frankly. I mean, I, I had tried everything I could think of, and I just... I suddenly realized for whatever reason that the only way to change my thinking was to find something that was within me, to find that love, that love that I kept looking for outside of myself, that I, got, I wanted from the parents that I never, you know, I never got it from the, I never got it the way I needed it from my parents. Not that they didn't love me, not that they didn't try, but it wasn't what I needed. And it wasn't the way I needed. I couldn't possibly ever get it from my now ex-husband. You know, there's, I mean, the poor man. Like, there's not enough love and attention in the world to make me feel okay about myself. I couldn't get it from the job. I couldn't get it from the amount of money I made. I, I mean, I had a boss. I was in negotiations for a position once, um, you know, to, to, um, up to um, 
a contract negotiation. And my boss actually said to me, Joanna, we could back a Brinks truck up to this building and it would not be enough for you at this point. What in God's name do you want? And he was right. It was, a, it was a good negotiating tra- tactic because he won. Um, but he, he had nailed me. You know what I mean? He nailed me where I lived. There just wasn't enough to make me feel okay about myself. There's not enough food. There's not enough alcohol. There's not enough Louis Vuitton purses. You know, and believe me, I own, I, I, I own more than any person should. So um, because I tried to use all those things to make me feel okay. And really what I finally got to was the only thing that's going to make me feel okay and that's going to love myself is if I can figure out what this God thing is. What is this higher power thing? And so what I started to do is I would go to meetings and whenever someone shared and I wanted what they had, I'd walk up to them after the meeting and I'd say, who's your God and where'd you get it? And what that did was that took me on um, a really interesting circuitous path to all kinds of different um, churches and ceremonies and CDs and books and, and, you know, things that had to do with God, things that didn't have to do with God, religions, philosophies, like you name it, you know. I would do whatever that person, whoever I walked up to, whatever they said, I'd look into it. Um, And as a result of that, I have developed... Um, a God of my understanding. And you know what the thing is, the interesting thing is, that God is so big that it's constantly changing. Because once I say, I've got it, I've figured it out, something happens and I don't have it figured out. You know, And the minute I think I've figured it out, that God's too small anyway. Because the big book says on page 68, my thinking is finite and God's thinking is infinite. And I'm a really big believer in looking up words in the dictionary because I thought I understood the English language because I speak it. Um, and it turns out I actually don't know it that well. Um, and when I look up words in the dictionary, especially those words I like to use against myself, um, I realize I don't really understand what they mean. And um, finite means so small and myopic. It means really small and myopic. And infinite means so large it's incomprehensible to the human mind. So if I can comprehend my higher power or God, if I can understand it and its purpose and what it's doing, it's too small. And it needs to get bigger in that moment. So I can tell you that my God occasionally shrinks, and then it grows and gets really big again, and then it shrinks again, you know, depending on what's going on. And so I'm constantly seeking. I am constantly seeking new spiritual information. And that takes me outside of these rooms. And I don't, and if you haven't noticed, I'm not speaking specifics. It's because um, I was taught the traditions using the OA 12 and 12. And um, Tradition 6 and Tradition 10 both basically have the same theme, which is we don't endorse outside enterprises and we don't have opinion on outside issues. So that means that what I believe spiritually, I am totally happy to tell you about specifically outside of the rooms. If you want to call me, I will talk your ear off for hours about what I believe and how I found it and where I found it and all that kind of stuff. But I won't do it from the podium. And that's what makes this a safe place for us to be. The big book says we share in a general way um, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. So if I were to sit up here and talk to you about a specific religion or a specific type of God and that wasn't your belief system, that would be really threatening. You know, somebody might hear that and be like, I don't believe that I can't be in these rooms or I don't believe that I don't want to be in these rooms. So I'm not going to talk specifics about what it is, but I will tell you how it makes me feel. Um, And the way my understanding of God and my constant um, spiritual seeking makes me feel is that it fills me up and makes me feel secure in a way that nothing I ever tried to use prior to this does. 
Like, that contentment that I had been seeking all along, I find, and it's within me, right? I find it in this God of my understanding. That love that I was looking for from everyone and everything, I found within myself, within my higher self. And I have an ability now through tools that I've been taught in these programs to, to tap into that resource whenever I need it. And how do I do that? There's a lot of different ways I do that. Um, one way is by calling my sponsor. Um, another way is by taking my sponsee's calls and talking to them about recovery. Um, I go to meetings so that if I'm spinning out and I don't, I'm not in contact with my higher power or my God, I can get that message and I can be reminded to get back into contact with it. Um, of course, I pray and meditate, but you know what? Sometimes when my head's really busy, that's not, that's not always the best tool. It's really hard when my head's spinning out and I'm in obsession and fear. Sometimes it's really hard to get to my God, and I need to use some of the more practical tools, like outreach and meetings and whatnot. Um, writing. I was, I was taught in here, write a letter to God and write God's reply. And I guarantee you, the first time I did that, I was like, this is such BS, man. I am writing to myself, and so I'm writing myself back. What are these crackpots thinking? But the truth is that um, I, I use that exercise all the time. I give that exercise all the time. I have sponsees who are incapable of saying something nice to themselves, who are incapable of speaking without um, using four-letter words. And the letter that comes back from, quote-unquote, God is this beautiful, loving um, non-explicative laden um, letter. So I know it's coming from a source higher than me. Um, and I just, it's such, a, it's such a relief because now I have these tools that I can use. And so I'll just give you a really quick example. Um, yesterday, uh, I had a really tough day at work. In fact, I made, um, I made a mistake in the morning that was really big and caused a lot of drama. And I had, I'm, I'm a senior-level executive. I had to call the CEO and say, we've got a problem. Um, the mistake is totally 100% my fault. Here's how we're fixing it. Um, but there were some people whose noses got really bent out of shape. And I work in an industry where, you know, when your nose gets bent out of shape, you scream a lot. And so, you know, I was just, I was uncomfortable. You know, and I had that anxiety response, the panic response. My heart was palpitating. My, my hands got really chilled and my fingers were shaking. And I, and I didn't, you know, I had to deal. I had to function. And I could see it in my head. It was literally like I could witness my head just almost start. It wanted to go there. Like, you're stupid. You're an idiot. They're going to fire you. I hate you. You know, whatever that old messaging was, you know. And, but I have tools today. So because I pray and meditate on a daily basis, I witnessed that. I saw it starting to happen in my own mind. And I walked out of the building, and I took a couple of deep breaths, because that's very calming. And I stood in the sunshine, because I was taught, you know, stand in the sun. You're going to get a different view of things. Um, and I made um, several phone calls. I called, um, again, I mentioned a couple of, I have a couple of programs, therefore I have a couple of sponsors. I, ca I called a couple until I got one. Um, it, that's actually the bonus, by the way, of being in a few programs. <laughs> Multiple sponsors, you're usually going to get one. Um, so, and I got one. I did call my outside help, um, and I did go to my God. I went to, I prayed and I meditated, and I was calmed down instantly. And something that in the past would have driven me to any number, one of my addictions, something that would have driven me into a torrent of self-hatred and that, like a mantra of I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you all day long. Something that would have kept me in stress and high anxiety for hours and hours and hours and probably all weekend long was gone within two hours. 
And that is a tremendous gift. That's the gift I get from this program. That's how I deal with life on a daily basis now so that I don't have to use, pick up my drug, in this case food and bulimia and anorexia. I don't have to hurt myself one day at a time, one moment at a time. Um, I wanted to leave some time for questions, so I'm going to wrap with that and um, open the floor up to you guys. She asked if I could talk about my experience with sponsoring. I find sponsoring to be um, such a gift. It's such a blessing and um, so difficult at the same time because there's nothing more challenging than having somebody come to you with your own problem. You know what I mean? (laughs) When a sponsee calls me and she's spinning out on something that I have struggled with, whether it was yesterday, a year ago, or ten years ago, I want to fix it. And sometimes that can come off like, just do this. You know, which is not the nicest way to sponsor. Um, and um, I'm, I have a sponsor in the room. I'm waiting to see if she's nodding her head. Um, but really, um, I, I really work hard not to do that. You know, when I get on the phone with, a spon- with my sponsees, um, I always, I, you know, I ask God for guidance. During the entire conversation, I'm saying to myself, God, speak through me, speak through me, speak through me. You know, you know compassion expressed through me, love expressed through me. You know, so that whatever comes out of my mouth, I can feel confident that, that it's, you know, my higher power speaking through me. Um, and sometimes it's really loving and it's really gentle. And sometimes it can be a little tough. I won't lie. I am not a warm and fuzzy sponsor. Don't come to me if you need a teddy bear. It's not happening. Um, but I've, I always find that no matter how I deliver the message, it's exactly the way the sponsee needed to hear it at that moment. And the, the gift of sponsoring for me um, and I think for all of us is um, that um, when they when they started AA, um, I'll just go into a quick story. Um, Bill W., when he first got sober, he went to these hospitals and he started to talk to other alcoholics about recovery. He, there was no program yet. There was no AA. There was no 12 steps, nothing. He was just talking about what happened to him and, how, and his experience, his white light experience. Nobody was staying sober. It had been six months. No one was staying sober. And he said to his wife, Lois, this thing isn't working. No one's staying sober. And she looked at him and she goes, Bill, you are. I don't get to keep this unless I give it away. That's what step 12 tells me. If I am on the phone multiple times a day on a daily basis talking about recovery, it is really hard for me to turn around and do the opposite. If I have just told you, do a 10-step and get on your knees, actually, I rarely tell people to get on their knees. I usually say, get a, do a 10-step and go to your God, right? If I've just told someone that and then I hit a wall on something, it's hard for me not to know I need to do that too. Um, she asked, what's the most challenging aspect of working my program? You know... I'm going to say something that's going to sound cocky, but I don't, it doesn't feel challenging right now. You know, I'll tell you that there are things. I'm going to tell you some stuff, and some of you might judge this. I'm having a heck of a time getting to OA meetings right now. I have five 12-step groups. I, I work full-time. I'm an executive. I work a 60-plus-hour week. I make it to about three 12-step meetings a week. It's not always OA. In fact, before this meeting, someone asked me, what's your home group, and I couldn't answer. You know, and I know that there are some people in this room who might say, oh, that's not working a good program, but i got to tell you, it's my program right now, and I'm okay with it. There have been times where I've been in um, between, I averaged at one point in my, um, recently, between 10 and 14 meetings a week, right? So 
I know, you know, what it means. I know how meetings can help, and I'm also loose enough at this point to know, like, I wear my abstinence like a loose garment. You know what I mean? So if meetings aren't happening for me right now, it's okay, right? So what, what, how am I making up for that? I'm in touch with my sponsor. You know, I'm, I, take, I always take my sponsee's phone calls. I'm constantly on the phone with my sponsees. Um, I, um, you know, and one of the things that I do that I pray and I meditate every single day. Now, yeah, I guess I could say that's a challenge because I have to get up really early in the morning. I have a spiritual practice that takes an hour. And I love my spiritual practice, and I wouldn't give it up for anything. But that means I occasionally have to get up at 4 in the morning to get it done so that I can get out of the house and get to the office in time. And I'm totally okay with that. And someone else might hear that and go, wow, that's challenging. It's not. It's a joy right now. And if at some point I have to let go of that practice or I have to change it up because that hour's not working for me anymore, I, hopefully, God willing, I'll be okay with that too. You know, I'm really in a place of... Um, total surrender and acceptance. You know, step one says we're powerless over food that our lives have become, you know, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives have become unmanageable. And when I do step one, I learn through this, the process, the way I was taught step one at least, that I'm not just powerless over food. I am powerless over people, places, things, situations. I am powerless over my own thinking. And if I'm powerless over that, then I'm powerless over the fact that I just have a heck of a time getting the meetings right now. You know, and I'm powerless over the fact that I love my spiritual practice today, and tomorrow I might hate it. <laughs> you might hear me in a meeting later this week pitching, like, you know that hour thing? It ain't happening anymore. You know, and I'm okay with that. Today what I get is um, the gift of being okay with being a human being. That's what this program gave me. The spiritual awakening I got in Step 12. Um, step 12 says having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, right? I do these steps and I get a spiritual awakening. And for me, that's a new way of viewing the world. And what that means for me is that I, I'm okay with change, right? I'm okay with having emotions. I'm okay with being a human being. And I promise you when I walked in the, the rooms... I was not okay with any of that stuff. None of that, those emotion things, I didn't want to express them, I didn't want to feel them, and I certainly didn't want to know about yours. You know, and change, no thank you, I want life to be exactly the way I want it, the way I want it, and it needs to be this way, and as long as it's this way, it's okay, but if it, if it veers off of this way, forget it, problem. You know, and, and being okay as being a human being, forget it, I was constantly uncomfortable in my skin, it's why I acted out the way I did. And today, thanks to, you know, all the stuff that I do on a regular basis, I don't, I don't feel that way. You know, I am, I'm really, I'm okay being a human being. When I came in here, I thought, you know, there was some Life 101 class that everybody else took that somebody forgot to tell me to take. I literally, I thought there was like a book or a pamphlet or something that somebody didn't pass out to me. And, and I realized that, you know, as an addict, I had spent so much time stuffing Right? Stuffing my feelings, stuffing my thinking, stuffing my emotions, stuffing my anything. I was so numbed out with stuff that I just really hadn't bothered to learn about and understand life. And once I was able to do that, thanks to getting abstinent and, and, and living a sober life and, and doing these steps and working these programs, I was able to accept life as it is. Right before I was fighting life and trying to make it what to be bend it to be my way, and today I I accept life for exactly as it is. Thank you.